2 Timothy 2 and 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Anybody ever done a piece of work that you don't want anybody else to know that you were responsible for? <laughs> Hopefully this isn't one of those sermons. Uh, at the end of the day, if, if need be, we can just leave it alone and, and not post it to Facebook or anything like that. But study to show thyself approved unto God. Verse 16, shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. When people start talking foolishness in your ear, shun them. Get them out of your ear. Why? And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. Uh, that word translated as canker in the King James. Uh, into modern language, we would translate that as gangrene. Anybody ever seen a gangrenous wound? Well, you're lucky that I didn't put any pictures in. Uh, but there's this thing about gangrene. Once it starts, it's hard to stop. Once that rot sets into a tissue, it's very challenging to get that rot back out of the tissue. And so usually the goal in surgery is to remove the limb or remove the affected area higher than where the gangrene has set in. Because you could do the, if you had a gangrenous foot, you could remove the foot. But if there's already some gangrene in the ankle, you're going to be back in the operating room to take off a little bit more. That's the seriousness of profane and vain babblings. He goes on in verse 18, Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house such as the church of God, which is what he's speaking of here. He says, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. I don't know about you, but I want to be meet for the master's use. I want God to look down from heaven at little old Jared Chemis and say, you know what, there's a vessel that I can use. There's somebody that has sanctified himself, cleansed himself, and he's prepared for every good work. I want that for us as a church together, that God could look down from heaven looking to bring revival to the plains, and he could see a little old church called the Jesus Church that is prepared for every good work. Today we've got a long way to go to the well. But if I can get you there, I promise you can drink freely, freely of rivers of living water. So if you're going to preach with me, if you're going to stay with me here for a little while, I believe the hungry soul will always be fed in the house of God. The thirsty soul is always going to find something to drink. I want to preach a tip for times of trouble. Pastor Mark, could you pray for us as we launch in?
Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. A tip for times of trouble. The year is approximately 65 A.D., and what we read is the Apostle Paul writing to his faithful son in the Gospel, Timothy. Paul is again a prisoner of and for the Gospel, being held in a dark dungeon in Rome. Now, mid-first century Rome confronted Christians in a manner that is strikingly similar to our world today. There was absolutely rampant immorality. Idolatry filled every single corner of the city. Now, we don't have statues standing on every corner, but we still have idols. Debauchery reigned in the public sphere. Violence was very common. On the other political side of things, they were facing for the very first time at this time in the Roman Empire a devalued currency, increased taxes, and this dirty word called inflation. They were facing a lot of the same things that we face. The Roman Empire was currently ruled by a despotic madman named Nero. He's the last of the Julian-Claudian line of Roman emperors. Now, I'll let you, if you ever have any curiosity about the man named Nero, I'll let you do your own research. It would not be fitting to fully discuss Nero in the crowd that we have here today. But for some lowlights of his life, this is a man who a few years after coming to power murders his own mother because he's tired of her trying to run his life as emperor. Later in life, he marries a young boy that looks strikingly similar to his dead second wife. This dude is messed up. In 64 AD, much of the city of Rome is ravaged by a great fire. And Christians and Jews become convenient scapegoats, which leads to a very intense period of persecution. Now this would be the part we haven't been to yet, but it's very easy to see, even looking back just into 20th century history, that there could very easily be an event in which people are scapegoated. And Christians are rounded up. Some are expelled from Rome. We read of Aquila and Priscilla that have fled Rome. They've been kicked out of Rome. But others are thrown to wild beasts in the Colosseum. They're crucified en masse. Just dozens to hundreds of Christians and Jews. And in perhaps the most incredible form of execution. They're called Nero's torches. He would coat them in tar and fasten them to the top of a stake. And then the, the history bears out that he would ride his chariot down a street that was lit with the burning bodies of Christians. It's into this setting that an apostle in prison writes the letter in 2 Timothy. Now, Timothy has been separated from Paul for a number of years. He is the bishop in Ephesus, or he's, he's in that role of pastoring in Ephesus. We can assume him to be a contemporary of John the Apostle, also from the region of Ephesus. And the tone of the letter is entirely different than from 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 6 and 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. But 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8 says, I have fought a good fight. 
I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. You can see the shift that has taken place in the mind of the Apostle Paul. No longer is he simply exhorting his son in the gospel to live godly and live holy. He's facing his own mortality. We read just a verse later, Demas has forsaken me. We 21st century believers sure like to knock on Demas, don't we? Demas has forsaken me. Bless God, I'd never leave Paul. Okay. I mean, they're covering him in tar and lighting him on fire. He's living in a prison. It was a little much for Demas to take. Paul spends much of the letter encouraging Timothy to stand firm in the face of persecution and to stand firm in his battles against false doctrine. That's why he's exhorting Timothy, study the word of God like never before. Get it in your heart. Don't listen to people that are throwing vain babblings out. Don't listen to Hymenaeus and Philitus. Don't talk to them at all. And suddenly... In the midst of the second chapter of the book, Paul, as only Paul can do under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, suddenly soars from this discussion of two specific individuals in verse 18 to declare to Timothy and to us a divine truth. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. In spite of everything that was going on, in spite of everything that Paul was personally facing, uh, he's bound up in prison. Uh, he's probably in a very dark, dry, and depressing place. Uh, but Paul was still convinced, uh, nevertheless, uh, what I'm going through, God uh, still knows his own. And I rise today to remind and encourage the church. Uh, nevertheless, uh, whatever's going on in your life and whatever's going on in our country, we have a sure foundation. Uh, we've got something that we can place our feet down on uh, and say, nevertheless, uh, everything going on, uh, I trust in God. As Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 2, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Uh, Jesus Christ himself is our chief cornerstone. Uh, in a time when everything that can be shaken will be shaken, uh, the apostolic church better remind uh, and better look down at its feet to make sure uh, that I'm still standing on a rock called Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm still standing uh, on a foundation of the doctrine of the apostles and prophets. Prophets. Uh, the doctrines of men uh, are not going to cut it when the world uh, starts shaking. Uh, the doctrines of man's beliefs aren't going to be enough. Uh, but you've got to look down at your feet every once in a while. Uh, you've got to see, uh, all right, uh, they're still on the rock. Uh, they're still on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm sure uh, and I'm strong. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, uh, I will build my church uh, on what? On this rock. Uh, and the gates of hell uh, aren't going to prevail against it. Going into this today, I presuppose that everybody understands the importance 
of building on a solid foundation. There are those, if Brother Miller was here, for those that didn't know, before he was a dentist, he had a career in, in uh, construction management. He was very knowledgeable about different types of aggregate. In fact, I could have uh, Brother Lonnie come up and give us a nice, a nice explanation of the importance of building on a foundation. You can't, you can't just build on top of any old surface. This, this building here is not built just on top of some quicksand and some mud. They just said, hey, this, it looks like a great place. Let's throw up a church on it. No, there's a foundation. There are solid footings that were placed. We talked a few months ago about building our lives on the rock of Jesus Christ. For some, that's a stumbling block. But for me, that's a cornerstone. That's a basis. That's the foundation of all of my life. It's got to be the foundation, the core of my beliefs. Now on that foundation that Paul writes about, there was a seal that was placed. And important buildings in the Hebrew and then the Greco-Roman, that Hellenized culture, they would have a seal placed onto the foundation or to the, the cornerstone of the building. Now seals, we read about them in various forms throughout the Bible uh, there are seals that are a way to secure and to ensure that, that somebody knows that this letter that's coming is authentic. Uh, for example, in the book of Esther, you read that King Xerxes would, would seal these letters being sent out with the emblem on his ring. You know if you see this wax seal, this is authentic. In the book of Revelation, God marks the believers with a seal of God on their forehead. This is what the devil mocks or attempts to mock when there's the, the mark of the beast. It's trying to make a mockery of the authenticity of the seal of God in their forehead. Or you could have a seal to remember or to honor things that were important when this foundation was laid. In the book of Revelation, again, you'll read as the new Jerusalem descends from the heavens and John the Revelator sees, he sees that there are 12 foundations on this, this new Jerusalem and in each of the foundations is the name of each of the 12 apostles. There's a remembrance and there's an honor that was going into it. Under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, Paul describes the foundation of the New Testament's church as containing the seal that we read. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure having this seal. There are two parts to the seal on the foundation of the church. The first part of that seal is this. The Lord knoweth them that are His. Pastor referenced it already, but I fully intended to bring it up again. Uh, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Uh, the Lord knows them that are His. That should provide you comfort in turbulent times. That should provide you peace in your heart when everything's going crazy. Uh, it's written by a man that's facing a violent death at the hand uh, of a despotic madman at the head of a Roman Empire. Uh, and yet he's saying, uh, the Lord knows 
his. Uh, my present circumstance uh, doesn't line up with my eternal future, uh, but I understand that the Lord uh, has me in the palm of his hand, and everything I'm going through, God uh, knows that I'm his. Romans 8 and 38 says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, uh, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, God thought it important enough for us to understand uh, that that foundation of the church uh, that's built on the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself uh, being the chief cornerstone, uh, and onto that cornerstone was placed a seal to remind you and I, uh, all the way back in 2021, uh, the Lord knows them that are His. Uh, you don't have to be afraid. Uh, you don't have to worry. Uh, if you've been following Jesus Christ, He's got your name. Uh, he's got your number. And He knows who's His. Now, it's not an accident that God inspires Paul to write these words. It's a direct quotation, actually, from the Septuagint. The form of the written word that Jesus and his disciples mainly quoted, as well as Paul. Prior to Jesus walking this earth, there was a group of 70 Roman scholars, the Septuagint, that gathered together to translate all of the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. And so often Jesus and the apostles would quote the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, but they would quote it in Greek, the common language of the day. And there's only one place in the Old Testament where this seal on the, the foundation of the church was quoted. And I do not believe it to be an accident that God inspired Paul to pen these words to a New Testament church. Because that one place where it was quoted was from Numbers chapter 16 and verse 5. God's greatest promise to his New Testament church is a reference to the greatest act of rebellion, perhaps, that occurred in the Old Testament. You find Korah and two others with 250 people behind them coming to the men of God and saying, you take too much on yourselves. Uh, we're men of God too. Why don't you step aside and let us have some authority and power? And the Bible records that Moses says to Korah, verse 5 and number 16, and to all of his company saying, even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy and will cause him to come near unto him, even him who he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. Now this is a little bit of sidebar. But God wasn't all that pleased by the rebellion of Korah and 250 princes. And in that moment, God commands Moses and Aaron to separate from the entire tribe of Israel because he's about to destroy them. He's so fed up and he's so frustrated. We're just after they're refusing to walk into the promised land. Uh, and it's only the intercession of the prophet and the priest that changes the mind of God. And instead what God says is, everybody get away from Korah. 
And that's the word that's shouted out across the whole camp. Uh, And if you can picture it in your mind, uh, you've got Korah and his wife and his children and their families and all of these princes together. uh, And the Bible says uh, that God did some new thing uh, and God opened the mouth of the earth and swallowed them whole. It blows my mind uh, why God would reference this uh, to put it on the foundation of the New Testament church. Uh, I do not fully understand it other than to tell you, uh, do not allow uh, the vain babblings. Do not allow false teaching. uh, Do not allow rebellion to come into your life. Uh, It's still sound advice today. Uh, When it starts, get away from it. Uh, Separate away from it. Uh, The end of those men, uh, the two fifth fire fell from heaven uh, and consumed them on the spot. Uh, Korah and his wife and kids and all of their belongings were swallowed by the earth because that's the tragic thing about rebellion against God uh, is that whoever abides it, whoever stands near it, uh, they're going down. They're going down with them. Let's lift our hands right now. This is not where we're staying, I promise. Uh, But God wants to do something in this place. In the name of Jesus, uh, I pray that every heart would be softened. uh, Every mind would be opened. uh, Every ear would be attuned to your voice right now. uh, In Jesus' name, uh, let your word accomplish what it is you set it forth to do. The Lord knew then, and he knows now who are his. He's not confused for a moment. He recognizes his sheep. If you're in doubt whether or not you are his, I want to encourage you. You can leave this building today with his name called over you in water baptism uh, and your sins washed away. Uh, We'll fill up the tank. We'll put a heater in it right now. Uh, The name of Jesus Christ can be applied to your life. Uh, You can be buried with him in baptism. Uh, In Jesus name, uh, your past can be erased. If you're wondering if you're his, you can leave here today uh, filled for the very first time with the baptism uh, of his spirit. Uh, God uh, will pour his spirit inside of you. Uh, It's just the earnest of your inheritance. Uh, It's just a taste of what's to come. Uh, But you can know uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are his. And the second part of that seal is this. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And right there was your tip for times of trouble. Immediately after Paul gave assurance that, yes, that foundation is solid. Uh, By the way, I looked this up for the upper Midwest where we live. Do you know how often you're supposed to get your home foundation inspected? (laughs) You don't want to know. Just get, just call an inspector, okay? That's all I'm saying. They recommend in a freeze-thaw area like we live, like every two years. I've, I'm going on eight years in my house, and I've never even thought about the foundation of what's going on. But immediately after that assurance that the foundation is sure, and a promise that God knows his own, Paul gives them a command, depart from iniquity. 
It was inconceivable then, and it should be just as inconceivable now uh, that these two things cannot be separated. They are two sides to the same coin. Uh, The divine side is this. God uh, knows his church. Uh, He's intimately acquainted and familiar. He is in relationship with those that are his. The human side of the coin, uh, our responsibility is uh, depart from iniquity. What was Paul telling Timothy and the Ephesian church? When trouble comes, it's all right uh, to take a quick peek at your foundation. uh, Investigate your feet real quick uh, and make sure they're still standing on the rock. uh, But then it's time uh, to lift your eyes back up uh, and begin to pursue God uh, and separate from iniquity. Your answer when hell breaks out in your life, in your family, or in your church is more holiness. Your answer when everything seems to be going to hell in a handbasket is more righteousness. Uh, Your answer when you don't know what else to do uh, or where else to turn uh, is to set your face for holiness. Uh, I don't understand what's going on, uh, but I'm going after God uh, and his righteousness. Uh, I don't understand everything I'm facing, uh, but God said separate from iniquity. And so by God, I'm going after him. And I can prove that this wasn't just Paul riffing on a verse, but speaking under the influence of the Holy Ghost, because Peter talks about it too. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We don't have dead hope. We've got a lively hope. It's alive. It's here for you and I. To an inheritance, verse 4, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly... Rejoice. Why are we rejoicing? Because Peter just said the same thing that Paul said. uh, The Lord knows them that are his. Uh, We have an incorruptible inheritance. Uh, It's undefiled and it's not fading away. God uh, is storing it up in heaven for us to reveal it at the last time. See, that should cause a little bit of rejoicing uh, inside of your heart. uh, But we're so human sometimes uh, that all I can see is what's going on around me. And I never stop to think about the eternal. I never stop to remind myself uh, I've got a heavenly home because I'm too infatuated with my earthly home. Wherein greatly you rejoice, though now for a season... If need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. 
those trials that you're facing, uh, if you will faithfully endure them, uh, you're going through a fiery trial right now, uh, but like gold going through the refiner, uh, you're coming out the other side uh, with that dross removed off of you, and the end result of it is uh, you're going to give praise uh, and honor uh, and glory unto the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now watch this. I love this verse. Whom having not seen, you love. In whom, though ye see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even uh, the salvation of your souls. Uh, I have never seen Jesus. I have never laid eyes on him. I have never looked at the resurrected form of Jesus Christ standing in front of me saying, go preach the gospel. And yet, here I am because I love him. I've never seen him, but someday I'm going to lay eyes on him. I've never seen him, but there's a day coming where I'm going to put my hand in a foot that's been pierced by a nail. I'm going to see nail-scarred hands reaching out for me. Oh, come on, somebody. Uh, I wish somebody would rejoice over the fact today. Uh, I've never seen him, but there's a sure salvation for me. Uh, I've never seen him, but there's another side someday. Go ahead. We're not going any further for a moment uh, until somebody finds a way to rejoice uh, even when you're going through a hard time uh, because your salvation uh, is on the other side. Hallelujah. 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 We need a breakthrough of rejoicing uh, in this house. It's easy when the music is playing. Uh, it's easy when everything seems to be going our way. It's easy uh, when we're feeling great and everything's fine. Uh, but how about when everything's falling apart? Uh, isn't it enough for you to know that you have an eternal salvation uh, that is set upon a sure rock? Isn't it enough to know, uh, even if I don't feel like it, I got a headache and my neck hurts, uh, my throat hurts a little bit. Isn't it enough to know uh, that because my sins have been washed away, uh, I can still have a little dance in my step? Oh, come on, somebody. Uh, I wish you'd stop sitting there staring at me. Uh, isn't it enough to know uh, that even though uh, everything is breaking out around me, uh, I still got uh, heaven? Come on, somebody rejoice in that for just a moment. Uh, rejoice in that for just a moment. Yeah, your health problems are bothersome, uh, but there's a heaven on the other side. Uh, yeah, your finances might not be great, uh, but heaven's uh, on the other side.
Go ahead and be seated. Be seated. Of, of which salvation? <laughs> the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, uh, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. You've got access to something Isaiah wanted access to, but never got. You've got access to something, King David, uh, and all of the beautiful psalms, uh, and all of the prophecies that he ever poured out. Uh, he never got to know what it was like to be filled uh, with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, he never got to know what it was like uh, to have his sins washed away in Jesus' name, baptism. Uh, yes, God covered his sins, uh, but they were just pushed ahead one year. Uh, they were just pushed ahead one year all the way up until uh, Jesus came and shed his blood. Uh, I'm telling you, we've got a hold uh, of something here uh, that even the angels desire to look into. We've got something that Gabriel and Michael, uh, surrounded by the power and the presence and the glory of God, uh, they desire to look into what you uh, have access to in the presence of God. And here's your tip. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whenever you see wherefore, find out why it's therefore. Because of your trials and temptations, because of your promised salvation and the sure foundation, because of all of that, God says, gird up your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. And I speak to somebody in this house right now uh, that has lost hope. Get your mind back on God and get your eyes back on your hope. You do not have to be discouraged. You do not have to give in to heaviness. You do not have to give in to weariness, but hope unto the end. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to your former lusts in your ignorance. Uh, fashioning yourselves, same word translated as be not conformed to this world in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Uh, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. When hell breaks loose into your mind, holiness. When there's a job situation you can't solve, holiness. 
When you've got a sickness uh, in your body that you don't have an answer to uh, or somebody in your family is struggling with something, uh, pursue holiness. Uh, When your kids uh, are backslidden uh, and away from God, uh, when your family uh, is lost and going to a devil's hell, uh, pursue holiness uh, because whatever the trial, uh, whatever the test, uh, I can trust that God's got his side handled. Uh, I've got a sure foundation uh, and so I'm just going to pursue him and his holiness now we're at the well and those that want to drink There is a depth of God in this place. Uh, God wants to reveal this to somebody. He wants to open somebody's mind uh, and understanding. Uh, Am I telling you you're never going to struggle again? No, uh, that's not it at all. Uh, But I am telling you that no temptation uh, is a hold of you, but what is common to man. You're not a special case. Sorry to hurt your feelings. You are not a special case. You're not the one person that God can't help. You're not the one person, oh man, uh, you're not the one person that God can't redeem, restore, renew, and, and wash away your sins in repentance. God won't suffer you to be tempted greater than what you're able. If you're sitting on your bum and you're just staring and looking, what you're telling God is, I don't believe your grace is big enough. But with temptation, uh, he's made a way of escape uh, that you might be able to bear it. Uh, Now, I'm not here to tell you that one size fits all, uh, but this one size is going to fit a whole lot of problems. Uh, When trouble comes, uh, pursue holiness. Uh, When trouble comes, uh, go after God. Uh, When trouble comes, uh, pursue his righteousness. The closer I get to him through my pursuit of his nature, the smaller my problem appears. The closer I get to him when I pursue his holiness, the less I love this world and the things of this world. The closer I get to him when I pursue him, the quieter the voice of the enemy The closer I get to Him when I pursue holiness, when I depart from iniquity, when I seek after righteousness, the easier it is for me to deny myself, uh, pick up my cross, and follow Him. And so if you're here today, and you're going through something, anybody ever face troubles? I got about three honest people in the house. The rest of you, you're in trouble already. He just won't admit it. Anybody ever face a trouble, a trial, a temptation, an issue, something that you can't solve on your own? Your answer is not to take the foot off the gas pedal. I can think of a tragic situation involving a family where the very words came out of the parent's mouth. I thought if I just backed off a little, the devil would let up. It's the absolute wrong answer. When hell breaks out, 
The best answer uh, is buckle up, baby. Uh, I'm pushing down the gas pedal. Uh, and if you thought you something before, uh, if you thought I was crazy before, uh, if you thought I prayed a lot before, uh, buckle up because uh, I'm going. Uh, I'm getting a hold of God. Uh, I'm not staying here. Let's all stand together. Let's try this one more way. Let's try this one more way. Uh, there's some people at the well. Uh, we're going to drink from it in just a second. But I want, I want everybody to see this. Uh, I want everybody to get this down inside. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 30. David and his mighty men come over the hill. And their worst fears are consumed. The smoke that they saw rising up and smelled from a distance is in fact true. Ziklag, Ziklag is completely taken. It's burned to the ground. David's wives, his children, and all of his livestock are gone. And every man with him, they've lost everything. And David, verse 4 of Samuel 30, and the people that were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. There ain't nothing wrong with shedding a few tears when you're in trouble. It's okay. You're human. David's two wives are taken captives. Ahinoam and Abigail. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed. Yeah. My whole life is gone. And not just that. For the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. Uh, but David did something very important in the second half of this verse. Uh, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And I've come to confront uh, a why bother attitude that's been staring me in the face all the way through this sermon. Uh, do not sit here and say, uh, why bother? Uh, I've tried before. Uh, I've tried to do it. Uh, I've tried to go after God. Uh, get back up. Uh, put your foot to the pedal uh, and pursue God. You go ahead with a why bother attitude all you want. Uh, I'm telling you, uh, everybody else is going forward. Uh, everybody else is going after God. Uh, everybody else is going to pursue. And so if David gave up in that moment and said, sorry guys, I tried. A hail of stones rains down on him. And the great prophecy and promise of David the king is wiped out in a moment because David had a why bother attitude. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought the ephod unto David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake him, and without fail recover all. So David's in a trial. David encourages himself in the Lord. David got with his man of God, and David found out the plan of God. 
If you won't get with your man of God, you're never going to find out the plan of God. I promise you right now, I'm trembling in the Holy Ghost. Uh, Unless you make it right with your man of God, uh, the plan of God is going to walk right past you. But David found himself the priest, uh, and he said, come over here, Abiathar. I know you're probably missing a wife uh, and family too, uh, but bring that ephod to me. Uh, Get it over here. Uh, Yes, I've encouraged myself in the Lord, uh, but I don't want to just leave with a feel-good feeling. Uh, I want the answer that God has given. When David pursued, uh, God took care of his problem. And I speak to a church today, uh, various trials, troubles, tribulations uh, have come into our lives. Uh, temptations that you feel like you can't overcome. Uh, but I lead you to a place today uh, to reveal to myself uh, and to you. Uh, our answer has always been uh, and will always be. Uh, it's in the foundation uh, of the church of God. Uh, depart from iniquity. Uh, when trouble comes, uh, go after God. Uh, When trouble comes, uh, pursue his holiness. When trouble comes, let's lift our hands together in this place right now. Go ahead and lift your voice with your hands. Uh, go ahead and lift up your heart uh, with your hands in this place right now. Uh, come on, I'm talking to somebody. Uh, I know it's been direct. Uh, I know there have been moments where it's a little bit tough to swallow. Uh, but somebody needs to hear it right now in the Holy Ghost. Uh, get your foot off the brake pedal. Uh, put it back on the gas uh, and go after God. Here's what I want to do as we have our hands raised, uh, as we're staying plugged into the presence of God. I'm going to open this altar in just a moment. And when this altar is open... uh I want somebody who's in trouble, uh, somebody who's going through a circumstance in a situation uh, to encourage yourself in the Lord uh, and as a sign, uh, as a a demonstration to God uh, that I'm going to pursue you, that I'm getting my foot back on that gas pedal uh, and I'm going to go after it. Uh, I want you to come and put your toes on the front of the altar. Uh, Why don't we do that right now? Uh, If you're going to go after God, uh, why don't you get your toes on the altar? Uh, Everybody in the house This is open uh, invitation for anybody, uh, no matter what you're going through, uh, no matter what you're facing, uh, there's an answer for you today. Come on, let's lift our voices. Uh, let's lift our hands for a moment. Uh, come on, just because uh, you, you step to that altar, that doesn't mean you're a mess. Uh, that doesn't mean you're a loser. Uh, that doesn't mean you're a wreck. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's not going right in your life. Uh, it just means that there's a circumstance and a situation that you realize uh, you need some help that's bigger than yourself. Uh, you need some help that's stronger than you.